0: This is Democracy on the Move. <music> democracy on the Move is a podcast tribute to the people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its original promise of democracy. This episode is being released on Friday, January 6, 2023. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and thank you for joining us. Today, we'll talk with Randy McCallion, who ran for the U.S. House of Representatives last November. But first, those who pump millions of dollars into our political campaigns obviously expect something in return. The outright purchasing of political influence in this country has gotten out of hand, especially since the infamous 2010 Supreme Court ruling of Citizens United. But we can fight back. Check out Move to Amend. Move to Amend is an organization dedicated to passing a constitutional amendment to end corporate rule and the corrupting influence of big money in elections. For more information, you can find Move to Amend online at movetoamend.org. So, today we're talking with Randy McCallion, who ran for the U.S. House of Representatives representing the 8th District in Missouri. She's a Democrat, and she ran against an incumbent Republican, Jason Smith. Now, she lost that contest, but that doesn't mean you've heard the last of her. She remains involved in the political scene here in Missouri, and she's determined to make a positive difference in our nation. And you may recall that Randy originally appeared on this podcast on May 22nd of last year, where we discussed her plans of running for office. Now, Randy is a graduate from Drake University in Iowa with a Bachelor of Science degree in psychology and a minor in biology. She worked as an in-home educator for children and teens with developmental and behavioral challenges, and then with parents and children, an early head start. Before moving to Missouri, Randy and her husband and children lived in Colorado Springs, where she ran for the Colorado State Senate District 10. Afterwards, she and her family moved to Edgar Springs or near Edgar Springs, Missouri, where they devote their time to community and family. So, Randy, thank you very much for joining us on Democracy and a Move, and welcome back today.
1: Thank you, Dan. I'm so glad to be here with you.
0: Good. So, um, today is January 6th, and we're actually going to release the podcast a couple of days earlier. I'm going to re- re- release it on January 6th. It's kind of a, uh, it's a date. I don't know why that date rings a bell in my head, but... Uh, Anyways,
1: <laughs> an insurrection on our Capitol. Is that's that it?
0: it. That's it. Yeah, you got me. OK, yeah, I forgot about that. So no, I didn't forget. Well, about Well, that it. Just... really
1: matters to me because uh, my congressman, who is also my opponent, was one of the Congress people who supported the insurrection and voted against certifying the results. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's Jason Smith and I'm running against him again. And we should probably mention that Josh Hawley was also one of those who supported the insurrection. And today, Lucas Kuntz. Uh, announced his run against Josh Hawley, so that's exciting.
0: Yeah, yeah. What a what an appropriate day to run against Josh Hawley too. He's the one that raised his fist there, and uh, and in union with the uh, soon to be insurrectionists. Um, that's right. But uh, let's talk about first of all. I'm really excited about what's going on right now because as we speak, we're seeing the 12th election or the 12th um, voting of, of on the on the republic on the House floor, the, the Representative House floor. And um, now and I have to say also that my wife, who's from the Netherlands, she tells me that this is an international embarrassment because her family back in the old country is even following this clown show. Um, now, if you were if you had been elected into Congress last November, you'd be right in the middle of it right now. Not as one of the clowns, obviously, but perhaps sitting there with a big bowl of popcorn, taking it all in and before getting sworn into office. Now, to paraphrase Ozzy Osbourne, are we going off the rails on the crazy train here? And and from your perspective, what's going on?
1: You know, I kind of can see it in multiple ways. I do see it from the side of, boy, this looks like a clown car. And, you know, there's other countries around the world going, wow, the United States looks pretty weak and divided right now. But on the other hand, if I take a little bit further step back, I can see that this is democracy at work. And although... You know, at this time right now, many of us who are involved in politics know that the Republican Party and the GOP as a whole has really embraced authoritarianism. Um, They're really sliding down that, you know, sort of fascist slide. And so we feel as though we're losing our democracy. But in some ways, when I watch this happening, this is what we created Congress and our democracy for was mm. debate. Was making sure that the person you thought would be elected into a position for however many years Kevin McCarthy thought he'd be Speaker, um, he's having a battle now for it because yeah. he wasn't the leader that he needs to be to be House Speaker, right? And so this is at least an attempt to show that Kevin McCarthy is not the leader that is needed at this time to lead uh, yeah. the House. And I think, you know, that's the. That's a democratic thing going
0: on. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that you say that because I was watching this video. It was from last Wednesday. It was uh, Sean Hannity uh, on Fox, um, just grilling Lauren Boebert uh, about you know the fact that he said something like, "You only have twenty votes on your side, and the rest of Republicans have two hundred votes. So why don't you just uh, why don't you just join them?" And it was it was kind of like watching two cannibals go at it in a sense because you know it's the argument was sort of nonsensical, but I I agree with you in the sense that this is democracy in motion, right? I mean, this is... And, and I'd have to agree with Bowart and, and write this down on the calendar. This is the only time I'm ever going to agree with her, but, <laughs> but you know, why should she, you know, compromise? I mean, this is what democracy is all about. She has what she thinks, anyways, are good reasons. I don't necessarily agree with the reasons, but, you know, uh, right. so be it. You know, she's ha- she's got some, some reasons there, and I don't think that she should have been put on defensive so much by Hannity, but... Um, But um, yeah, it is what it is.
1: It's, you know, because I also see from my own party, the Democratic Party, which certainly needs a lot of work as well. They are standing firmly together right now, and that is wonderful and something that we need to do. But on the other hand, you know, just a few months ago, just this past year, the Progressive Caucus was holding the Democratic Party as a whole accountable, and they were trying to push our party towards more rental protections and Um, you know, uh, that, that sort of thing, protecting people that really need those protections from our government so that they're not abused and used by private industry and greedy corporations. So, you know, I'm not loving that our country doesn't have a house leader and that we are struggling through it and it does look a little embarrassing. But on the other hand, there are small factions of each of our groups that uh, this is democracy right they bring yeah. up issues they push and push and they use the power that they've brought together to try to make a change and i think what this reflects mostly on is that kevin mccarthy is not a good leader yeah and i have to he wonder can't too whip uh, them up you know yeah well why
0: why doesn't he reach out to the democrats and it I, I mean well first of all maybe the democrats won't respond to him i don't know that seems kind of silly they could probably drive some sort of bargain i would think I would think from my naive perspective that it might be easier for him to find a handful of Democrats to support him if he gives in a little bit to some of their demands, as opposed to, you know, going to the extremists within his own party and trying to deal with them. Um, Is that even a Mm. realistic scenario, do you think?
1: Uh, You know, my first thought in my gut is, heck no, I don't want the Democrats who seem to have more united power right now to give in to someone like Kevin McCarthy. Um, I believe that we should be pressuring a few moderate Republicans who aren't happy with what's happening to their party to vote for Hakeem Jeffries.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think that's also probably a pipe dream, but we are much closer to having Hakeem Jeffries as Speaker than we are having McCarthy. I know all the Democrats that that I know would rather Hakeem Jeffries as well, obviously, mm-hmm. but McCarthy is a, a Trump lover. And what we've seen at this point is, you know, Trump's endorsement tanks people now The Republican Party doesn't want to be bound to Trump anymore and that's a good decision (laughs) and McCarthy hasn't made it there and um I just you know if he can't get out and whip up those little bits of votes or get people to stop voting against him I mean this is a small group of people 20 people is a small group of people and it really seems like there's only four or five of them actually leading this charge right Gates and Boebert being two of them um And it just really shows me that McCarthy doesn't even have the ability to work across his own aisle. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And uh, he's just not the the person for the job. Yeah. Well. um, I'm interested to see where this goes, though.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Wouldn't it. uh, Aren't there any moderate Republicans out there that um, that maybe the Democrats could get behind? At least, you know, a handful of them get behind. You think that's really. Wouldn't that be
1: nice? Hmm. I tried to think along with my husband yesterday of who would be a moderate Republican. And boy, we really struggled with that because there have been very, very few Republicans that have stepped up and spoken out against the, you know, um, radical fascist slide that we're seeing from the Mm -hmm. authoritarian party, the GOP. And like Liz Cheney is one of the few that's spoken out against, you know, all of this nonsense. Mm -hmm. And, um, You know She's got her own bad rap sheet, and I wouldn't necessarily want her to be leader either. But at this point, there aren't enough Republicans speaking up against their own party. Even in this situation, they're not using their voice. Um, I really only see that little radical righty group, the Boebert and Gates group, that uh, seems to actually be using their voice here. And as much as I do not align with them, I think it's interesting that they are holding their own party to account in front of the world.
0: Yeah. Well, like I say, that's the way democracy works. And um, this is what we have to deal with. And I I, I kind of hope that this speakership thing will be over hopefully soon. And maybe Kevin McCarthy can pull it off. I'm looking at the uh, at the at round 12 right now, and he actually looks like so far he has 213 votes. Uh, which is a big improvement. but he already
1: lost too many this time, right?
0: Yeah, he's already lost seven at this point from what I can see. I don't know if those are the final numbers or not, but he can't afford to lose more than four or five, something in that area. So still not there. You know what
1: surprises me too is MTG was always aligned with Gates and Boebert. You know, I just like they are their own little click in my head. And uh, just because she was going to be given a power position under McCarthy, she flipped instantly over to McCarthy (laughs) And I think that just further shows that yeah. so few of them actually stand for something. They're really in this for themselves. Yeah. And uh, just like my opponent, my Congressman, Jason Smith, right? We've seen time and time again that he is in this for himself uh, right now. He's looking for his own power position. If McCarthy gets speaker, then Smith is more likely to get um, House Ways and means chair. Mm-hmm. And we know that he spent nearly a million dollars To buy himself House Ways and Means chair, so I think this is just further showing the debacle that is self power and self importance for so many people in the GOP.
0: Yeah, yeah, good point, good point. Hey, maybe we'll end up with Melissa McCarthy as speaker. That would be interesting. (laughs) See up there in her, you know, doing her. It's funny
1: to see all the different names people are recommending. You know, we've got some people saying Dolly Parton.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, she'd do better. uh, I I gotta say.
1: I saw some of her show on New Year's Eve, and I, I don't think we should put Dolly Parton through having to be Speaker of the House. She deserves to just relax now. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: true. Why would she want to do that? That'd be a step down for her.
1: Um, yeah, right. So now,
0: uh, when, when things do get uh, settled, we will end up with a speaker at some point. And no doubt uh, there's going to be investigations into such things as the investigation into the January 6th investigation, and perhaps even someone to mm-hmm. investigate that. Um <laughs> Hunter Biden's laptop, you know, at some point, you know, Congress does have to attend to some serious business. So what do you think of the big issues in this go around? I mean, we talked before the podcast here about the debt ceiling. Uh, That's a big one to tackle this this year, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I'm seeing how the House Speaker stuff is going. I'm very concerned for what's coming with the debt ceiling. And I've been doing some research to understand the debt ceiling better, to know how I can inform people in my district, you know, give them empowerment to raise their voices in a in an important way or in a way that's going to be impactful. And I think that what we're seeing with the House Speaker debacle right now is just a preliminary sort of preview of what's coming for the debt ceiling. Mm-hmm. We are going to have division between democrats and republicans for the debt ceiling and we're going to have big divisions in the republican party itself for the debt ceiling my opponent and congressman jason smith has been railing about the debt ceiling for months now Mm -hmm. um he's been very excited for republican control of the house because he wants to hold the country hostage to not raise the debt ceiling. He has been a part of the group that's been talking about changing the way social security works so that it's not a guaranteed benefit anymore um, so that Mm. we won't raise the debt ceiling. And I just think we all need to take a break for a moment from even thinking about debt as something that damages us like household debt because government debt, federal government debt is nothing like household debt. And something I learned while I was looking through all this was that the debt ceiling was put into place in 1939. Mm -hmm. So we ran this country from the beginning without a debt ceiling. And it wasn't until 1939 that we started a debt ceiling. And then we've been raising it and raising it and raising it. At a certain level, when you read about this, a debt ceiling is arbitrary. It's completely arbitrary. There's no reason to set it at a certain point It just keeps kicking the can down the road. And ultimately, if we end up setting our own debt limit and we default on that, we not only screw ourselves as the United States, we are going to impact the world economy. And that's going to decrease people's trust in us. It's going to mean that to borrow money, the federal government will have to pay more money to borrow that money. All of this will negatively impact citizens civilians, our military, uh, children who are hungry and rely on food stamps, children who are living in poverty and rely on um, government-funded health insurance, for example. Mm -hmm. We will have our veterans and our troops suffering because they won't receive the pay and the benefits that are owed to them. So in the end, when I look through all this and I research all this, a debt ceiling is arbitrary. We can absolutely remove it with no consequences. And if we were to default, it would probably be one of the biggest global catastrophes that we have caused as the United States, probably ever.
0: Yeah, but that's the fear though, right? I mean, because we talk about Social Security, I kind of see where some of the Republicans are coming from, because the Social Security is on track to be insolvent in less than 10 years. And what that means is they won't be able to um, well, they're run out of, run out of uh, the excess money that they have. I think they have like $800 billion right now in excess, which has been built up mm-hmm. since like the 1930s, and it's being depleted at this point. And all that is being held by federal debt. You know, the government borrowed against Social Security. It does have to pay it back. So that's that's going to come due, you know, before, you know, within 10 mm-hmm. years, something to the tune of $800 billion, I think, somewhere in that area. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong.
1: That is a
0: lot of money. So I, I can kinda yeah. see where people are coming from. If social security becomes insolvent, that doesn't mean you don't get your social security check, but it does mean you're gonna probably see only like maybe two thirds of what you're currently receiving right now. Right. So I c I, I kinda of get why, you know, Jason Smith and company, as much as I really don't care for his other policies, I kinda of see where he's coming from in this case here. Isn't isn't that isn't that something that we have to, I can we have to talk that. about?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can respect that. I don't think that, you know, um, risking the lives and well-being of Americans to hold us hostage with the debt ceiling is the answer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what I see, to get back for a second to the House Speaker debacle, what I see from all this is it's the Republican Party, the GOP, that has been claiming for decades that government doesn't work. Yeah. And then we are now witnessing in real time that it is the Republicans and the GOP that doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. So the Republicans can't come together and elect a leader for themselves. And yet they all came together and decided to adjourn yesterday, which meant that they're all OK voting together to not get work done, but they can't vote together to choose a leader. So it's further showing me that the Republican Party was the party that believed government wasn't working. So now they've elected people that don't know how to make government work. And so holding the country and our troops and our military and our, you know, hungry children, holding them hostage to to not raise or to raise the debt ceiling isn't the answer. It's to have our legislators sit down and figure out how to make social security work, how to pay that back, not to just keep using these things against each party to fight each other. They need to do real governing, right?
0: Yeah. No, I agree. And that was, I think uh, back in the 1980s, that was a guy named Grover Norquist that drove a lot of that sentiment that said he wanted to shrink government down to the size where he could drown it in the bathtub. And, um, you know, largely he succeeded in in a sense, because mm-hmm. um, the, 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 the sentiment now among a lot of people is that government doesn't work. Well, guess what? If you go around saying government doesn't work, it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. It won't work.
1: That's exactly right. And when you say government doesn't work, and then you have a candidate saying that government doesn't work, but they're not saying that they want to make it work better— then why are we electing people who continue to believe it's not working and want to further create problems, right? We should be electing people that are good at organizing, that are good at fixing problems, that are good at looking at an issue, making an outline of how to improve it and moving forward on it. And that is not what the GOP or the Republicans are doing. They're literally doing what you just said. That's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And they're like, government's not working. So elect someone who wants to make it worse. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Elect someone who's good at organizing, who's good at numbers, and who's good at, you know, finding ways to improve a problem. Yeah. That's what our people yeah. deserve. We deserve that.
0: I I, I I like what you're saying there. I like what you're saying. I think, you know, <laughs> that we, we don't necessarily have to have all the answers, but we need to get some smart people in the room and start talking about answers and, and start getting it done. Um, something else that's coming exactly. up, too, is the Farm Bill will be coming up in... Um, this year, I think the last time it passed was in 19, or in uh, 2018. I think it comes up every five years. And this has been going on since 1933, from what I understand. And uh, I'm sure it'll get broad support from both sides of the aisle. But there's some new niche issues which might come up. Uh, cannabis, for one re- for some reason, you know, some farmers might say, hey, you know, do I get covered by this farm bill if I'm growing cannabis crops? Um, hmm. Carbon sequestration payments are being talked about as well. Go ahead. Yeah, it's um well, that could run into problems too. I think that um, um, I'm kind of reaching here, but in the, in the in the Netherlands, where my wife is from, they had some big issues with carbon sequestration, and it was putting a lot of burden on farmers. And a lot of farmers literally just went out of business. They were bought out by the government, some of them, and uh, mm. a lot of them were very upset. They drove all their tractors and combine harvesters and everything, and just gummed up the works all over Amsterdam. It, it's it's a big That's issue. That's a fun protest. Yeah, it is. It was. It was. Uh, was pretty amazing to see that. Um, but it, well, in then, a way, you know. Go ahead.
1: With my background in public health and my education, and I spend a lot of time now looking to other models to know what are they doing, what didn't work, and what can we do better. And I don't necessarily think we do a great job of that yet in the United States. We seem to have this attitude that we can just get it done on our own and we'll figure it out ourselves. Thanks, mm-hmm. and. You know when i was looking at how to improve healthcare systems in my graduate degree i spent time researching the netherlands they actually have a pretty good healthcare system i spent Mm -hmm. time researching japan and and um ireland and scotland and france and all these different places and their healthcare systems and i don't think that we do that enough here and so with what you just said about the carbon sequestration we should be looking at what did they do and Mm -hmm. Would that happen here? The same issues. What could we change that would make it better? What could we learn from them? And those are some things I'd really like to see us start doing. Okay, good. And something we have else. We a lot of other role models in the world. Why don't we use them, you know? <laughs>
0: well, you know, that's um, that's actually a good business model, too. See what works and do more of it. And if you see something that's that exactly doesn't right. work, they call it KPIs. I think it's that like key performance indicators. Boy, oh, boy. You can tell I spent some time in marketing. Um, How about voting rights? um, That's going to be coming up because the Supreme Court will be deciding on this thing called the independent legislature theory, which in the extreme could mean that state legislatures may send their own electors to D.C. What do you think about this, about voting rights at this point in in this upcoming year? Will that become an issue?
1: Mm, That's a great question. I'm sure it will be an issue because both parties have big thoughts right now about how voting is going. Um, you know, the GOP generally has had the message that voting is not going well and that it's not secure, even though they've had absolutely no evidence to truly support that claim.
0: Yeah.
1: And so I do think there will be issues. But seeing how the Republican Party itself right now is not united, then I don't really think that they're going to get too much. Mm. done relating mm-hmm. to that or to to voting right issue issues you know i've lived in multiple states and been a voter in uh multiple states now and i just really see that we need to make this system easier for people to vote there isn't good evidence from the people that say voting rights aren't uh Oh, goodness, what am I trying to say? There's not a lot of evidence to show Mm -hmm. that there's any sort of issues with our voting system when it comes to fraud or anything like that. But there is a lot of evidence to show that people are having a hard time voting if they can't make it to the polls. Um, You know, Missouri passed their voter restriction law. And fortunately, DEMS were able to make sure that there were some provisions in there to help people. For example, we have early voting now, no excuse early voting in Missouri, mm-hmm. which should have always been right. It's silly to me that we made it to 2022 and we just now have early voting with no excuse. Right. Um. Yeah. So I, I know we all would really like to see voting be easier. And I've talked to a lot of Republicans who feel that way as well here in the 8th district that uh, especially, you know, we have a lot of people living with disabilities A lot of people who care for people with disabilities or major health concerns in this district. And a lot of polling sites are pretty far away from people in this district. So we've even had motion um, movement in St. Francis County, for example, in the 8th, where they are working right now to remove voting sites. So the St. Francis County courthouse Mm -hmm. and clerk. Are removing voting access sites and they want to take it down to four sites. So we're struggling and it shouldn't be that way. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't really know what's going to happen at the federal level with that.
0: What, what do you think about this, uh, this thing? I think it was Moore versus Harper, which is a case in front of the Supreme Court, which uh, challenges or, or presents, I or should say, this thing called the independent legislature theory. And um, it's it's it was brought up by North Carolina Republican legislature. And if it's adopted, it would give state legislatures the right to put in place all kinds of election laws and rules without any review by the state courts and also above any sort of governor's vetoes. It really makes the state legislatures the the last word. Uh, And, you know, in the extreme, it could allow them to send their own electors to uh, to the Washington, D.C. for the president despite however the voters might have voted. And this is the idea that Donald Trump tried to you know, unsuccessfully put forth back in 2020, which resulted in the, you know, the insurrection exactly two years ago today. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about that? No, the, that's awful. Yeah. It, what do you think about the independent state legislature theory? I mean, is that the fact that the Supreme Court is even considering it, in my opinion, is, is kind of a warning bell, but um, yeah, it, uh, boy, oh boy. I don't know. Do you have any opinion I about that? I feel
1: like you, I feel like, that's a warning bell i um i get very nervous when i think about almost anything with this current supreme court that we have mm-hmm. uh, that's probably the discussion for another podcast too huh such yeah, a long yeah, one yeah. but um yeah that's you know the first thing that comes to my mind when i hear things like that is we've got the gop and the republican party claiming that they're all about the constitution they are the patriots of the united states but then left and right everything i see is that they don't respect the United States because they keep trying to undermine the United States federal government. Yeah. And we are not individual states governing ourselves. We are a United States of America. Mm-hmm. So all of this movement to make states their complete own sovereign entities that don't have to answer or, you know... Um, join with the federal government or answer to them or anything like that work with them you know missouri we've got that gun law that anytime there's a gun issue the federal government can't be a part of it right like that's not supportive of the united states of the constitution of our country as a whole and it's really confusing to me how the gop and the republicans can continue to claim that they are constitutionalists and that they are the patriots of the united states when in reality the efforts that they're making are to dismantle the federal government, are to weaken the united part of the United States of America. And I think that we all just need to be calling out their scam yeah. at this point.
0: That's interesting. It's sort of a, a note right here. I don't know I don't know if you remember that series that Ken Burns came up with on the Civil War. And it was based on the books by Shelby Foote, who is a uh, who's no longer with us, I believe. But he was a historian about the Civil War, and he had this observation about the Civil War. He said before the Civil War, the saying was the United States is, but then uh, after the Civil War became the United States are, or something like that. Because basically, what he's saying is huh. that we thought of ourselves as individual states before the Civil War. After the Civil War, we became much more united, and and the Federal government really was was playing a much higher, much much more active role. States still have their I'm... own, um, I guess, their own independence to some degree, but uh, there there is also this overlaying uh, concept that the uh, federal laws overlay everything. And you referred to the Sapa Law, that's the Second Second Amendment Protection Act, which was passed by Missouri. We've talked about that a lot on this podcast. Um, that basically says nobody can cooperate with federal authorities when it comes to guns and, and gun crimes, which is, um, you know, pardon the pun, but you were kind of shooting ourselves in the foot right there with that with that law. But Right. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. And uh, I, I just think that that's a major issue that we need to be pointing out, sort of that hypocrisy. I really like learning that, though. I didn't know about the United States is versus the United States are, and uh, I like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it's the other way around. The United States are kind of kind of presents you as being independent states, and the United States is makes it sound like we're all all uh, together. Anyways, that was I probably got that backwards, but that was <laughs> I understand something that, uh, what you, the point you're making. You <laughs> understood the point. Anyways, good. Uh, I'm glad one of us. I think does. it's
1: important though that we we acknowledge if we take a step back as a United States, don't we want the federal government to make sure there's certain laws that we all are protected with across the country. You know, your right to vote should not change based on what state you live in. Honestly, I don't love that voting is so different state to state. I really think that's something that should be um, done across the board in the same way, especially now that we are able to see really effective, great ways to do it versus other ways that aren't quite effective or so great. You know, when it comes to how you manage your local waterways and forests, I can see how that is much more a state issue. And that's something I talked a little bit about on my campaign Mm -hmm. is I'd really like to see the state of Missouri be able to manage their forests uh, like the Mark Twain National Forest, which is most of my eighth district. I really want to see some sort of conservation core that is locally managed, locally employing people, because our forest out here in Missouri isn't healthy. And I came from an unhealthy forest area in Colorado that's burning down, and I'd really like to see the forest that I live in here in Missouri stay healthy and be able to be resilient as the climate shifts and changes and weather gets stronger and more dangerous. And we have droughts like we are experiencing in Missouri right now. And I believe that we should be locally managing our forests because the federal government can't keep track of that kind of stuff at that level. That's crazy. You know, we live here. They don't. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So there's certain things that make so much sense to be state, you know, uh, governed and mm-hmm. then there's certain things that should just be our right and our protection across the board because we live in the United States, like access to health care, the ability to vote. Uh, those things should be protected across the federal government.
0: Good, good. And you touched upon this concept of global warming, which a lot of people call uh, climate change. Um, if you live in Missouri, as you do, you know the climate changes every day. You could be outside in and, and short sleeves one day and then outside outside building a snowman the next day uh, but global warming is an overall trend of our climate so uh, what is your what is your opinion on global on global warming and what we can do about it do, do you have a, a plan or, or an approach to it
1: yeah. So one thing I want to clarify is what we experience day to day is our weather and weather always changes. And so, you know, the term global warming has confused some people because you hear warming and you think that everything should always be getting warmer. Right. Mm-hmm. And in reality, the climate is sort of the bigger picture of what weather events fit under. Right. So for example, a hundred years ago under our climate, there weren't as many massive hurricanes. There weren't as many um, tornadoes. Ah, what's the thing hitting? Well, there you go—the giant tornadoes. But the mm-hmm. uh, the river stream. What are they calling the water hitting California right now?
0: Oh well, I don't know. That's mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I call it a flood. I mean, this is it's crazy. it's, yeah, it, it's the a, uh, river of air. I guess for it where it's,
1: uh, yeah. an atmospheric river. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they're calling it—atmospheric river. So. These things are weather events, and they're increasing because our climate is less stable now. Mm -hmm. And for about 10,000 years under human Mm -hmm. existence, for the last 10,000, our climate has been very stable. Um, So therefore, the weather has been very similar and predictable. And now that our climate is starting to shift because the uh, amount of carbon in the atmosphere is creating instances where so much heat is staying near the globe and melting things like our ice caps. Now the weather is shifting and we're getting bigger weather events. We're having uh, longer droughts than we've ever had in our recorded history. And so what I see for my state of Missouri, I mentioned a little bit about the forests, you know, we're experiencing a drought here in Missouri. That's been really hard on our small and big farmers, our small farmers have had to think about selling some of their cows or their sheep because they don't have enough um, pasture that mm-hmm. has enough grass left to be feeding those animals. And they're having to consider if next year the drought continues like this, yeah. they won't have to be able to have as many cattle or sheep. Some of them are considering not breeding as many of their animals so that they don't have as many in the next coming years. That means down the road, we're going to have more food issues, we're going to have more issues getting things like beef, because if the cattle farmers are decreasing how many cows they have, because the drought is making it so they can't feed as many animals, then in just a couple years, we won't have as many cows on the line, we won't have as much beef at the stores, which will increase the prices. So here in Missouri, I've talked to so many small and big farmers who are struggling with those things right now with the drought. And then when we do get a lot of rain, like last spring, it was flooding rains and they ruined the pastures too sometimes. Yeah. So I see that climate change and our changing weather systems are impacting us here in Missouri. We need to do things to prepare ourselves. And I don't see that happening. We are not working with our forests to make sure it's healthy and resilient from potential fires in the future. We aren't doing enough, in my opinion, to protect our waterways and to make sure that our, our wells, our aquifers are being replenished. Well, you know, you talked a little bit about farming a little bit ago, things like cover crops, that carbon sequestration, that's a lot of no-till farming is, is some of, you know, um, What helps with carbon sequestration Mm -hmm. all of those practices will help keep water in our aquifers replenish them with the rain that comes and i don't see a lot of those steps happening in missouri so i'm not looking necessarily for us to have restrictions for personal use because really as a personal you know individuals we don't use a lot of water it's the mega corporations like our CAFOs that are using a lot of water and damaging a lot of our local water. Fortunately, in the 8th District, we don't have a lot of CAFOs down here because it's so hilly uh, and foresty, it's really hard to make a CAFO. But the state of Missouri itself has a lot of CAFOs and there are a lot of farms, a lot of waterways across the state that are being poisoned and contaminated by these massive animal operations. And that's bad, we need to be taking action now to make sure that the water our children and grandchildren have in 10 and 30 years is there and it's clean water. You know, some of these chemicals that are being used will never leave our water and they'll never leave our bodies. Things like PFAS, right? Mm -hmm. They're forever chemicals. We need to be taking actions now to make sure that humans are protected, that our livelihoods, our farms are protected, And not that mega corporation making some new plastic product is the one that gets to pollute the planet and has protections. Yeah,
0: yeah. And just to to review CAFOs, we uh, spelled C-A-F-O. It's an acronym for Concentrated Animal Feeding Operations. It's uh, factory farms, basically. And uh, I've railed against them in Missouri here for quite some time, honestly, because it's, 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 uh, it's becoming an issue. It's becoming an even larger issue as time goes on. And the yeah. now you're going to really be fighting the Missouri legislature in that case there because they've passed a number of laws. I think it was SB 391. I think it was back in 2019, which basically yeah. said that these KFOs can operate outside of any sort of health, uh, local county health ordinances. They are basically being run by the central command post in in the capital, in the, the state's capital, Jefferson City. So um, there's a lot of there's a lot of work to be done there. And I um, I'm, I'm with you on that one. That's that's um, that's uh, really important stuff.
1: I want to get back, though. You know, and oh, go ahead. Real quick, just to add to that, because it came up in this last election, a part of the problem we're facing with those KFOs is the foreign land ownership that we allow here in Missouri. So there's foreign entities um, like uh, Smithfield and oh. a few of those other large agricultural operations, they are businesses from foreign countries, and they are allowed to buy land in Missouri, and to set up a CAFO on it and to poison our water. And then they sell us the animals back. So we're literally Mm -hmm. suffering for them to make a profit. And then we have to buy their food products. So that came up in this last election, I hope it comes up again because I know that farmers down here in the eighth, people across the state do not want that poisoning of our water, the the disastrous refuse of, you know, CAFOs. Yeah. And we don't want foreign companies like that owning our land, destroying it, and then selling everything back to us to make themselves a profit.
0: Yeah. We talked to the Missouri Rural Crisis Center a few weeks ago about this very topic. And the funny right. thing is that, uh, yeah, they, they, they mentioned the companies, there's Smithfield is one. There's one also in, in Brazil, which is owning quite a bit of our property here. forgot the name of that company. It slips my mind at the moment. But the thing that impressed me that, that they said was that they, they the United States purchases a lot of this beef from Venezuela, uh, um, South America, basically, Venezuela, uh, Brazil, etc., and it gets relabeled as U.S., U.S. beef here when it gets put into the store. Yeah, and I was I was surprised to hear that too. And you know I haven't done any background research on that, so I'm just going to paraphrase what they what they told me. But that's absolutely crazy stuff, and that's something that can be helped at the federal level. We got to stop that. The USDA needs to step in and say, okay, if this is if this is beef that's been foreign raised and foreign packaged, um, it's got to be marked as such, so that Americans know what they're buying.
1: Exactly. I'm so glad you talked to them. I love the Missouri Rural Crisis Center.
0: Yeah, it's a good group of people there. It's really, really have a lot of passion for what they do. It's a very good conversation we had. I do want to move on. They also have a
1: legislative tracker. And Mm -hmm. so if anyone listening um, wants to check out their website, the Missouri Rural Crisis Center tracks legislation that relates to the issues, people, communities that they serve. um, And I've used that before.
0: Okay, good. So um, I wanted to move on a little bit here so we can sort of wrap things up, but I, I was looking at the last election results from last November, and um, I was noticing that, you know, obviously um, your opponent, Jason Smith, won. He's now he's the incumbent, so generally incumbents don't have to work as hard to win at elections, but he's won consistently with like 75 to 20 sort of margin, you know, the, the extra five being independents and, and other parties. Um there's this, this great deal of asymmetry in campaigning that I see is that, you know, I see Democrats you know, really working hard to get connected with the people. And the uh, Jason Smith is just one example. The Ann Wagner is another example. She's in the second district of Missouri. They don't seem to really want to engage with people that much. They don't hold their town halls. Um, I, will, I will, in all honesty, say that Jason Smith did hold a couple of virtual town halls, which I was able to, to chat with him on but um really not putting in that much effort and yet they come back with these huge margins that they win. So, what's going on here? What's going on with the Democratic Party, the Republican Party? Is is it a matter of messaging or what's happening?
1: Yeah, that's a great question and a lot of people are talking about that now, which is a good thing from running my race and, you know, witnessing what I did, learning what I've learned. I see multiple issues, but I do see that one of them is we lack a cohesive sort of Democratic Party at this time in the state of Missouri. And there are definitely some strong leaders, you know, the Missouri House Minority Leader Crystal Quaid and the HDCC. I think I'm saying that right. The House Democratic Campaign Committee. Mm-hmm. Um they are wonderful organizers. They have made sure that the House has a cohesive message. They made sure that their House candidates had access to resources for running a campaign. They coordinated and connected with their candidates, talked about messaging. And that's one of the reasons, I'd say the main reason, we picked up House seats in Missouri this year. You have to have a cohesive group, there's strength in numbers. And so, I wanted to point them out as a positive because I see that a part of our major issue here is a lack of cohesion out here in my district, which is the most Republican voting congressional district in the state at this time. There are a lot of Democrats, but there's not a lot of leadership that brings those Democrats together besides like their little democratic committee that brings together those that little group of democrats right there's not Mm -hmm. a lot of um mm, bridging across the counties there's not Mm -hmm. a lot of um messaging and encouragement to do those things and so i think what's happened is for quite some time now the democratic party hasn't had a strong presence voice or message in our rural spaces and i i'll speak a lot about the eighth in this case but across rural Missouri, because we saw how much Jess Piper struggled with her numbers. And she was a mega raiser money wise, yeah, like she yeah. should have done better. And what that shows me is that it's the Democratic name, the Democratic brand that is struggling in Missouri that people don't trust it, because it's not out there. So here in the 8th District, there's rarely Democratic voices in your local paper. There's never Democratic voices on your local radio station. There's not even Democratic radio stations out here, truly. Mm -hmm. Um, So if there's no Democrats at your doors, if there's no Democrats at your community events, if there's no Democratic flyers, if there's no Democratic ads in your newspapers, if, if you don't hear from Democrats, then... They don't exist to you they're not there for you Mm -hmm. and yet there's republicans knocking on your doors there's republicans on your local news and in your newspapers so you start to feel as a person as though even if you don't necessarily align with every the with everything the republican party is doing they are speaking for you they are engaging with you they seem to care enough to be present for you and that's what i've noticed down here in this past cycle is that we don't have enough strength and strength in numbers as Democrats in this rural area yet. That's Mm -hmm. something I'm working on building, but we didn't have enough of that strength. And so people just feel like Democrats abandoned them. And I can understand that feeling. And then you don't have your own message as a Democrat, right? So the Democrat message is being portrayed by the Republicans. So Democrats Mm -hmm. don't even get to stand for themselves because they won't there's no one speaking. Right. Yeah. So I hope that makes some sense with like a Republican could say whatever they want about a Democrat and there's no Democrat to stand up and say, that's not true. I'm a good person and I contribute to my community. I do not um, drink mm-hmm. baby blood. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if there's no one there to speak against that, then the Republican message holds. Right. And I'd love to see our democratic party in the state of Missouri speak up louder have a bigger presence. I'd love to see them on radio stations throughout the state, talking about what Democrats do for people, especially for rural people. Um, We need to have more events. We need to be proud to be Democrats. I respect that people in my district have been scared as Democrats to speak up. It can be scary in an area where you feel like you're alone. Mm. But that was one of the things I tried to do with my campaign in 2022 was to bring Democrats in each county of the district together so that they didn't feel alone anymore, so that there was that strength in numbers because there really are more Democrats out here and more people who will vote for a Democrat but if you don't know that they exist, you feel really alone, right? And so just this one campaign that I ran for my first time running for congressional seat, we had so many people express hope and excitement to see 20 other Democrats in a room with them because they didn't know they existed in their own county with them. Wow! And so change wow. is being made. We are bringing people together. We are showing them that they're not alone. We're starting to show our local community that Democrats are here, that they do have a choice, and that we are not the awful people that the Republican Party is claiming us to be. We are your neighbors. We bring you food when you're sick. We contribute to our local churches. We contribute to the food bank. And we're on PTO. We help our schools. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that that's, you know, what's important, but your original question, what happened and how is that happening? Well, down here in the eighth, being a Democrat is a bad thing right now because Republicans and the GOP are the only ones that have set the tone and the message about what a Democrat is. And when I ran my campaign, I tried to show people this is who a Democrat is. I'm a Democrat. I'm a mom of two little girls. I grew up in the Catholic church and um, as you know, shifted more into just being a Christian after some of that tight Catholicism, which I know my district will understand being more of a uh, Southern Baptist district. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But um, I'm a gun owner, right? And so I ran a campaign on, I live in the Mark Twain National Forest and I'm raising a farm and I'm a responsible gun owner too. Most of the people in my district are. Yeah. many of the democrats in my district own guns too and so we just need to get out there and have those dialogues to share with people um kind hmm. of our political stance so that those people that we've spent every sunday in church with start to be like you're a democrat oh yeah, yeah. wow i didn't know they existed down here right and we start to change their view of who we are
0: yeah. Well, that makes sense. I mean, there's the the if you don't show up to defend yourself, then the opponent's accusations will stick. And so exactly. it's really you just need to show up at this point. That sounds like a pretty good approach. It's a big job because it's been ignored for quite some time that the, the Democrats have um, have not spoken up for quite some time. And um, but okay. um, it's time that uh, it's time to change it because things don't seem to be working out so well when you can't elect uh, a member of the Speaker of the House at this point. <laughs> that's, and right, that's right. So it's just you know, in that McCarthy lost the 12th round of voting. Oh boy. Yeah. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. Jeez. Um, you know, I think there's another party or another problem within the Democratic Party is that we have too much of this. Well, that's an unwinnable seat. And, you can say that to be realistic, right? I know that my seat is unwinnable for me, probably in this next election, too. Statistics show <laughs> that mm-hmm. it's very unlikely. It's okay to to you know see that that might be an unwinnable seat, but that doesn't mean we should ignore it. Right. That doesn't mean mm-hmm. that that district doesn't deserve democracy, that it doesn't deserve choices on its ballot. So there's been too much of this attitude in the Democratic Party of like, well, that's unwinnable so ignore it. That's unwinnable. So don't run for it. Like, I don't like that attitude because every seat deserves a choice. Every district, whether it's a local house district, all the way up to a congressional district, every district deserves to have multiple people speaking for them. You know, none of us have the same experiences in life, even when we live in the same vicinity of each other. And we should be speaking up about the experiences that we have. And so I've tried to show in two campaigns now, and then this one I'm running for now, uh, the congressional seat for 2024 will be my third campaign. I've run for three times now in seats that were pretty much impossible for us to win. The only harder way to not win it would have been to not run for it, right? Mm -hmm. So um, it's so important though that we run for these seats because it's a platform that is provided for us by our democracy. I am given this platform. We as Democrats are given this platform to raise the issues that are important to us, to talk to people around us. And I believe that that's so important that we need to stop worrying about whether it's a winnable seat or not. And we need to recognize that speaking up for the people you live around and speaking up for your district and running a campaign is a democratic, democracy-loving, democracy loving Republic loving thing to do mm-hmm. and we should be supporting it more.
0: Yeah. Well put. It, it kind of reminds me of, um, I, I was a notoriously horrible baseball player, but there's one thing I do know about playing baseball. You'll never hit a home run if you don't take a swing at it. And, um, That's
1: exactly right.
0: yeah. And so you, you got to step up to the plate and maybe it's a really fast ball. Maybe, maybe you're, maybe you're out of your league, but, uh, still a chance if you take a swing at it. Yeah. You might, You might, uh, might actually do it. So, um,
1: right. And you get your name on the board because you stepped up to take that swing. Right. But if you would have just sat on the bench, your name would have got, wouldn't have gone up in front of all those people.
0: That's right. That's right. Very good point. So um, we need to wrap this up at this point. Uh, Before we go, though, uh, where can people go to find out more about your uh, political campaign, which uh, you just announced that you're running for the 8th District in Missouri for 2024? What can people do to get in touch with you and find out more information and help?
1: Yeah. Thanks for asking, Dan. So this year, you know, I'm a county committee woman for my local county and everyone should be if you're not, join your county committee um i'll also be tracking some legislation in the state legislature i will have some events across the district we're going to do some volunteering stuff we're also going to try to pull together multi-county events so having like five or six counties come together in one place and share ideas and kind of build that momentum that strength in numbers and so if anyone listening wants to follow along wants that information A great way to keep track with my campaign and to get access to the things that I'm sharing is to sign up for my email list. Right now, I send a monthly email, sometimes bi-monthly, depending on how many events we'll have going on and how much information I need to share. You can go to my website, which is randymcallion.com. And if you click on Contact Me right there on the front page, you can also click on Connect uh, at the very top. Both of those will take you to my connect page. And at the very top of that, you can sign up for my emails. And it says, sign up for email, very simple. Um, mm-hmm. Twitter, Facebook, TikTok are three of the other places I'm at, and you can follow along there too. I would love to have more people get engaged. We need to grow our voices and our strength in numbers and you know, mm-hmm. empower each other and raise up our voices to make a difference in our system, to benefit us and the people around us. Good.
0: Well, I'm looking at your website right now. I just want to make sure we spell it out because there's probably different ways of spelling your name, but that would be R-A-N-D-I-M-C-C-A-L-L-I-A-N, randymccallian.com.
1: Perfect. Right. Yep. And I'd love to have you sign up for my emails and follow me on social media. Say hello and let's organize, grow, and improve our democracy together.
0: Perfect. You're singing my tune there. We've been talking with Randy McCallion, (laughs) former candidate for the U.S. House of Representatives and future candidate for the U.S. House of Representatives from the Missouri 8th District. Randy, thank you for joining us again on Democracy on the Move.
1: Dan, thank you so much. It's always such a pleasure to talk with you.
0: You've been listening to Democracy on the Move, a tribute to all those people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its original promise of democracy. Please tune in each week where we will feature guests and topics that will help keep you in touch with our march toward a more perfect union. If you have any questions or suggestions, or if you'd like to sponsor future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at info at democracyonthemove.org or contact us on our webpage at democracyonthemove.org slash contact. Democracy on the Move is all one word. Theme music, Murky Waters, performed by El Rey Music, used under license from Shutterstock. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Please have a safe week ahead. We hope you'll tune in again next week.